Chapters nine and ten of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nine, Mrs. Bezel. One cannot always judge by appearances either as regards human beings or houses. Mr. Hilliston was one excellent illustration of this rule. Clarence Cottage was another. It was in a narrow and crooked lane trending downward toward the right at the summit of Fitzjohn's Avenue an unpretentious two-story building divided from the public thoroughfare by a well-cultivated garden therein grew thyme and lavender marigolds and pansies for the owner of the cottage loved those homely flowers and daily gazed at them from the bow-window wherein her couch was placed mrs bezel never walked in her garden for the all-sufficient reason that she was a helpless paralytic and had not used her limbs for over ten years still a moderately young woman of forty-five she possessed the remains of great beauty ravaged by years of anxiety and mental trouble those passing along the lane usually saw her pale face at the window and pitied the sufferings written in every line sufferings which were apparent even to a casual glance noting the homely garden the mean-looking dwelling the anxious expression of the invalid they deemed her to be some poor sickly creature the scapegoat of nature and the world who had sought this secluded spot in order to hide her troubles this view was not entirely correct she was in ill health it is true she dwelt in a small house certainly and the anxious expression was seldom absent from her face but she was in easy circumstances untroubled by pecuniary worries and the interior of the cottage was furnished with a magnificence more suggestive of park lane than of hampstead the outward aspect of the house like that of mr hilliston was a lie her sitting-room resembled the boudoir of some mayfair beauty the curtains were of silk the carpet velvet pile the walls were adorned with costly pictures and every corner of the small apartment was filled with sumptuous furniture all that art could contribute all that affection could suggest were confined in the tiny space and had mrs bezel possessed the minds of golconda she could not have been more luxuriously lodged the house was a gem of its kind perfect and splendid mrs bezel took little interest in these material comforts her life was passed between a couch in the bow-window a well-cushioned chair by the fire and a downy bed in the next room she had little appetite and did not enjoy her food mental anxiety prevented her interesting herself in the splendours around her and the only pleasure she took was her dreary journey in a bath-chair when the weather permitted then as she inhaled the fresh breeze blowing across the heath she gazed with longing eyes at london almost hidden under its foggy veil far below and always returned with reluctance to the familiar splendours of her narrow dwelling fortune had given her much but by way of compensation had deprived her of the two things she most desired of health and of love even on this warm june evening a fire burned in the grate for mrs bezel was a chilly creature who shrunk at the least breath of wind according to custom she had left the window couch at seven o'clock and had taken her simple meal while seated in her large chair to the right of the fireplace after dinner she took up a novel which was placed on a small table at her elbow and tried to read but her attention was not fixed on the book and gradually it fell from her hands while she gazed idly at the fire what she saw therein heaven only knows we all have our moments of retrospection and can picture the past in the burning coals some even picture the future but there was none for this woman she was old weary diseased worn out and therefore saw in the fire only the shadows of past years 
faces looked out of the flaming valleys scenes arranged themselves in the red confusion but among them all there was always one face one scene which never vanished as did the others this special face this particular scene were fixed immovable cruel and insistent the chime of the clock striking half-past nine roused her from her reverie and she again addressed herself to the novel with a sigh tortured by her own thoughts mrs bezel was not accustomed to retire before midnight and there were nearly three hours to be got through before that time her life was as dreary and weary and heart-breaking as that of mariana in the moated grange the tread of a firm footfall in the distance roused her attention and she looked expectantly toward the door which faced her chair the newcomer passed up the narrow garden path entered the house and after a pause in the hall presented himself in the sitting-room mrs bezel knew who it was before the door opened for standing on the threshold was the man with the face she had lately pictured amid the burning coals francis hilliston and the woman who called herself mrs bezel looked steadily at one another but no sign of welcome passed between them he was the first to break the awkward silence how are you this evening margaret he asked advancing toward her better i hope there is more colour in your cheeks more brightness in your eyes i am the same as ever she replied coldly while he drew a chair close to the fire and stretched out his hands to the blaze why have you come here at this hour to see you no doubt but with what purpose hilliston pinched his nether lip between finger and thumb frowning the while at the fire whatever had been there was now no love between this woman and himself but on no occasion had he noted so hostile a tone in her voice he was aware that a duel of words and brains was about to ensue and knowing his antagonist he took the button off his foil there was no need for fine speaking or veiled hints in this conversation it was advisable that all should be plain and straightforward for they knew each other too well to wear their masks when alone under these circumstances he spoke the truth i think you can guess my errand he said suavely it concerns the letter you wrote to claude larcher i thought as much and what more have you to say in connection with that affair i have merely to inform you that the man whom you desire to see is in london and will no doubt answer your kind invitation in person mrs bezel stretched out her hand and selected a letter from the little pile on her table if you will look at that she said coldly you will see that claude intends to call on me at three o'clock to-morrow taking the letter in silence hilliston turned frightfully pale and the perspiration stood in large beads on his forehead he expected some such appointment to be made yet the evidence in his hand startled him all the same the promptitude of action spoke volumes to one of his acute perceptions to defend his good name would require all his skill and experience for he had to do with men of action who acted as quickly as they thought the duel would be more equal than he had thought are you still determined to tell all he said in a low tone crushing the paper up in his hand yes the monosyllable was uttered in so icy a manner that hilliston lost his temper completely before this woman there was no need for him to retain his smiling mask and in a frenzy of rage he hurried into rapid speech frantic and unconsidered ah you would ruin me he cried springing to his feet you would drag up those follies of sixty-six and make london too hot to hold me have i not implored threatened beseeched commanded 
done everything in my power to make you hold your peace miserable woman would you drag the man you love down to the man i loved you mean responded mrs bezel in no wise moved by this torrent of abuse pray do not be theatrical francis you know me well enough to be aware that when my mind is made up i am not easily moved a man of your brains she added scornfully should know that loss of temper is but the prelude to defeat recognizing the truth of this remark hilliston resumed his seat and subdued his anger only the look of hatred in his eyes betrayed his real feelings otherwise he was calm suave and self-controlled have you weighed the cost of your action he demanded quietly yes it means ruin to us both but the loss is yours not mine helpless and deserted life has no further charms for me but you mr hilliston doubtless feel differently margaret he said entreatingly why do you speak like this what harm have i done you that what harm she interrupted fiercely have you not ruined me have you not deserted me have you not robbed me of all that i loved my life has been one long agony and you are to blame for it all not a word she continued imperiously i shall speak i insist upon your knowing the truth go on he said sullenly i listen i loved you once francis i loved you to my own cost for your sake i lost everything position home respect and love and you what did you do hilliston looked round the room and shrugged his shoulders look and gesture were so eloquent that she commented on them at once do you think i valued this splendour i know well enough that you gave me all material comforts but i wanted more than this i wanted love you had it i i had the passion such as you call love did it endure you know well that it did not so long as i was healthy and handsome and bright your attentions continued but when i was reduced to this state ten years ago what did you do left me to marry another woman it was not my fault he muttered uneasily my affairs were involved and as my wife had money i was forced to marry her and you did marry her and no doubt neglect her as you do me is mrs hilliston any happier in her splendid house at kensington gore than i in this miserable cottage i think not i waited and waited hoping your love would return it did not so i took my own course revenge and so wrote to claude larcher yes listen to me i wrote the first letter on the impulse of the moment i had been reading a book called a whim of fate which contained i know i know i read it myself this evening then you know that someone else is possessed of your secret who is john parver i don't know i intend to find out meanwhile i am waiting to hear the conclusion of your story mrs bezel drew a long breath and continued the book which contained an account of the tragedy at horriston brought the fact so visibly before me that i wrote on the impulse telling you that i wished to see claude and reveal all you came and implored and threatened then my impulse became a fixed determination i saw how i could punish you for your neglect and so persisted in my scheme i wrote to claude and he is coming here to-morrow what do you intend to tell him so much of the death of his father as i know 
you must not you dare not said hilliston with dry lips it means ruin to you not to me impossible he said curtly our relations are too close for one to fall without the other so you think rejoined mrs bezel coolly but i know how to protect myself and of one thing you may be assured i will say nothing against you all i intend to do is to tell him of his father's death he knows it already what yes did you think i was not going to be beforehand with you sneered hilliston triumphantly i guessed your intention when you wrote me that letter and when claude arrived in town i saw him before he could call here i did not intend to tell him of the matter till your action forced me to do so he has read all the papers in connection with his father's death and intends to hunt down the murderer now do you see what you have done apparently the brutal plainness of this speech strongly affected mrs bezel it seemed as though she had not comprehended till that moment what might be the result of her actions now an abyss opened at her feet and she felt a qualm of fear nevertheless i intend to go on now that i have begun she said gloomily i will answer any questions claude may ask me you will put him in possession of a clue it is not improbable but as i said life has no charms for me you don't think of my sufferings said hilliston bitterly rising to his feet did you think of mine during all these lonely years she retorted with a sneer i shall punish you as you punished me there is such a thing as justice in this world well i warn you that i shall protect myself that is your lookout but i will show you this mercy as i said before that nothing will be told by me of your connection with this affair as to myself i will act as i think best you will tell him who you are yes i will tell him my real name then i am lost surely not she rejoined scornfully francis hilliston is old enough in villainy and experience to protect himself against a mere boy it is not claude i fear but his friend spencer tate he is the dangerous person but enough of this added hilliston striking the table imperiously i forbid you to indulge in these follies you know i have a means whereby to compel your obedience it is your possession of that means that has turned me against you she reported dauntlessly if you give me back my margaret not a word more let things remain as they are i have said what i intend to do hilliston ground his teeth he knew that nothing he could say or do would shake the determination of this woman he had already experienced her resolute will and not even the means of which he spoke would shake her immovability there was nothing more but to retire and protect himself as best he could at all events she promised to remain neutral so far as he was concerned that was something gained before leaving the house however he made one final effort to force her to his will i will not give you any more money i don't care francis this cottage and its contents are settled on me a sale of this furniture will produce sufficient money to last my life i can't live long now i will deny all your statements do so i will have you declared insane and shut up in an asylum mrs bezel laughed scornfully and pointed toward the door if that is all you have to say you had better go she said jeeringly 
you know well enough that you cannot harm me without jeopardizing your own position they looked at one another fiercely each trying to outstare the other Illiston's eyes were the first to fall and he hastily turned toward the door so be it he said with his hand on the knob you want war you shall have it see claude tell him all i can defend myself on leaving the house a few minutes later he paused irresolutely by the gate and looked back if i could only find the paper he muttered she could do nothing as it is he made a gesture of despair and plunged into the darkness ten a few facts connected with the case when the two young men left lincoln's inn fields after the momentous interview with hilliston they walked on in silence for some distance each busied with his own thoughts like most solitaries tate had a habit of speaking aloud and unmindful of the presence of claude he stopped short at the gate of the new law courts to give vent to his feelings it is decidedly suspicious he said in a low tone and quite inexplicable what are you talking about asked claude irritably whereupon tate became aware that he was not alone but nevertheless showed no disposition to balk the question i was thinking of mr hilliston he returned quietly i am not at all satisfied with his conduct he is hostile to us claude hostile impossible he is doing all in his power to help us so it appears answered tate dryly nevertheless i think that he intends to thwart us in our plans if he can now you are talking nonsense said claude as they resumed their walk why he first brought the case under my notice and why because he wanted to be beforehand with mrs bessel if he had not told she would have done so and naturally enough he wished to be first in the field but i can't think ill of him protested larcher he has been a second father to me no doubt there is such a thing as remorse remorse you are mad not at all i am suspicious we will discuss mr hilliston later on when i will give you my reasons for speaking thus meanwhile he has decided to play a game against us nonsense he has no motive pardon me i think he has but what it is i am unable to say as yet however he will make two moves in the game within the next twenty-four hours indeed said claude ironically perhaps you can tell me what those two moves will be certainly answered tate serenely as to the first he will call at my rooms to find out if we have gone to see mrs bessel to-night and why at your rooms because he thinks you are staying with me and moreover knowing that we are acting together he knows your movements will coincide with mine ah and the second move he will write you a letter asking you to stay with him at kensington gore i don't see what there is suspicious about that said claude petulantly i know you don't but it is my belief that he is afraid of your investigations in this case and wishes to keep you under his eye but good heavens man he advised me to pursue the matter on the contrary he advised you to let sleeping dogs lie so he did cried claude with a sudden recollection of the interview but why what harm can my investigations do to him ah that is a difficult question to answer said tate reflectingly 
to my mind they will show that hilliston was not the friend of your father he pretended to be but according to those papers he acted like a friend throughout yes according to those papers larcher faced round suddenly struck by the significance of the remark he was a clever young man but could not see clearly before him and honest himself was far from suspecting dishonesty in others instead of agreeing with tate in his estimate of hilliston he vehemently defended the lawyer you must not speak like that tate he said angrily mr hilliston is an honest man and has been like a father to me i owe all to him perhaps you do retorted tate significantly however we need not quarrel over the matter i am content to wait and will bet you five pounds that the inquiry is made to-night and the letter is sent to-morrow larcher did not accept the bet thus confidently offered but walked on stiffly with his head in the air he was seriously annoyed with tate for daring to cast an imputation on the character of a man to whom he owed all never could he bring himself to believe that hilliston intended him evil and deemed that the lawyer despite his manifest reluctance would help him by all the means in his power to discover the assassin nevertheless tate proved to be in the right as the two young men passed down the stairs on their way to the theatre when tate insisted on taking claude with a view of distracting his mind they were met by the porter beg pardon sir addressing himself to tate but a gentleman called some time ago and asked for you and mr larcher who was he why did you not show him up he would not give his name sir and did not wish to come up he only asked if you had a box for the theatre and when i said you had stalls drove off ah can you describe his appearance not very tall sir clean-shaven with white hair and a red face looked like a country gentleman sir thank you that will do replied tate quietly and left the house with claude for a few minutes he enjoyed his companion's astonishment at this proof of hilliston's double dealing and it was not till they were in the cab that he spoke well he said smiling was i not right when i said that he would make the first move you are right so far muttered claude who looked ill at ease but i cannot bring myself to suspect my guardian you want another proof perhaps well we will wait for your invitation to kensington gore claude shook his head and seemed so indisposed to talk that tate judged it wise to humour his silence the young man's thoughts were anything but pleasant he had been accustomed to look up to hilliston as the model of an english gentleman honest honourable upright and noble if then this suspicion of tate should prove correct and the last act of hilliston certainly gave colour to it where was he to find honest and honourable men if hilliston proved false then claude felt he could no longer trust the human race still he fought against the supposition and secretly hoped that the second prophecy of his friend would not be fulfilled alas for his hopes at eleven the next morning while they were discussing the situation a letter was delivered to claude by special messenger it proved to be from hilliston and contained a warm invitation for larcher to take up his abode at the kensington gore house as you may only be in london for a short period my dear claude wrote his guardian my wife and i must see as much of you as possible with a bitter smile claude tossed the letter across to tate you see i was right said the latter for the second time after skimming the note mr hilliston is playing a double game he wishes to keep you under his eye 
thinking that as you trust him you will keep him informed as to your doings so that being forewarned he may be forearmed do you really think he is my enemy tate i am really not prepared to say replied the little man with some hesitation his behaviour of yesterday struck me as suspicious he seemed unnecessarily agitated and moreover urged you not to see mrs bezel perhaps he thinks she will tell you too much taking all these facts into consideration i cannot help thinking that hilliston is asking you to his house for some motive in connection with our search but he showed me the papers i know that but as i told you yesterday it was hobson's choice with him if he hadn't imparted the information mrs bezel would have done so of two evils he chose the least and by showing you the papers proved to all outward appearance that he was your firm friend should you bring any charge against him he will meet it by the very argument you have just made use of good heavens groaned claude in despair is everybody as treacherous as you think him to be a good number of people are replied tate suavely a long residence in london does not strengthen one's belief in human nature it is a city of wild beasts of wolves and foxes who rend and betray for the gaining of their own ends if hilliston is what i believe him to be we must do our best to baffle him and so you must continue to be his friend how can i if he wishes to betray me ah you are so unsophisticated claude said the hardened man of the world you betray your feelings too plainly in this city it is worse than madness to wear your heart on your sleeve if you are convinced that hilliston bears you ill i am not convinced i can't believe any man would be so base ah bah that is a want of experience retorted tate raising his eyebrows i'll pick you out a dozen of my decent friends who are as base or baser than i believe them to be respectability is all a question of concealment nowadays and it must be confessed that your guardian wears his mask very prettily but do you think he is never mind what i think interrupted tate impatiently hilliston may turn out to be an angel after all but his conduct of yesterday and this morning appears to be suspicious and in dealing with the matters we have in hand it is as well to be careful keep your faith in hilliston if it assists you to continue the friendship he must suspect nothing do you then wish me to accept this invitation no why go into the lion's den write and thank him and decline i have no excuse indeed then i will provide you with one you are engaged to stay with me at thorston for a month by the end of that time you will know sufficient of hilliston to decide for yourself as to the wisdom of accepting or declining his invitation but if we go to thorston we cannot prosecute our inquiries yes we can i tell you that book which contains the story of your father's murder also contains a description of thorston i recognize every scene well well repeated tate sharply can't you see the author of that book must either live at thorston or have stayed a few months there else he could not have described the village so accurately we must make inquiries about him there and should we be fortunate enough to discover him we must extract his secret what secret upon my word claude you are either stupid or cunning why find out where he got his material from that may put us on the right track now write to hilliston and then go up to hampstead and find out what mrs bezel has to say won't you come too 
said claude going to the writing-desk no i have my own business to attend to is it connected with our enterprise i should think so it is my intention to call on the firm who published a whim of fate and find out all i can concerning the author when you return from mrs bezel we will compare notes and on what information we obtain will depend our future movements End of chapters 9 and 10